PPP and the, the, the SBA loans from this crisis handed out, but very different. Very different. Very, it didn't grow by 2x at all. Correct. If you look at it, M2 did not grow 2x. What's not being tracked on the Fed M2, M3 metric, which is happening through the repo market, as well as the, uh, uh, the other thing you can track is, for example, the um, margin loans on the broker dealers book. These are these are basically anything that's loan, right? The the margin loan is a loan. It's 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 credit creation. It's money creation. The wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> so how how is that track? Like how how big is that relative to? I mean, we just saw Archigos, you know, seven time leverage and uh, you know all of this leverage in the system. Um, margin loans, I think, would would provide some pretty good data points. Mm -hmm. Is there's no. Uh, I haven't found any good ah. uh, aggregated <laughs> measure for this. This is all the part of the shadow banking market mm. uh, that uh, through the through the securitization and you know repo market to to increase leverage. This is really really well. Th there's no incentive for people to be very transparent in this. And then Federal Reserve, they are you know nominally just looking at the commercial banking market. They're not. Like really super active in regulating the in the you know investment bank part of of the of the, um, the financial market. So it's the the good data there is very hard to get by and it's very late when you have them. Okay. But 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 this is the this is the very good point you're making here. So that part of money creation from through the repo and through the, uh, through the dealer uh, broker arm of the, of the bank holding company, they are sort of under the same constraint of the SLR rule because they're part of the bank holding company. So when the commercial bank's balance is growing, that's going to squeeze the investment bank part of activity. So both repo and derivatives, the notional amount of those will have to shrink when the commercial bank uh, balance sheet is growing tremendously, like through uh, what Fatty and Frenny has been doing or through- Okay, so this is a segue to the SLR and the requirements, I mean, the, the, the limitations basically, or the fact that they're almost at 20%. So is that correct? Am I like, or is that different? Uh, this is this is exactly that. Yes, okay, this, okay. Is, this is limited by SLR. And this is a huge difference between 2018 and this year. So in 2018, all the reason why liquidity matters is a different uh, mechanism called LCR, liquidity coverage ratio. At that point, it was bank reserve is really scarce. We don't have enough bank reserves. And that's causing the sell-off when, whenever the bank reserve dips below a certain critical level. Right now, we're on the opposite side. There are too, they're too much bank reserve, way too much bank reserve. So I have to ask right away, is it a situation where it could actually fall under the weight of the supply, meaning the markets? Um, from the equity market perspective, it's not necessary. It does, it's not a direct pressure on the supply. It's more of a removal of the buying power because of the because the broker dealers are able to unable to extend more. Isn't that, isn't that the same difference? <laughs> uh, power uh, is important in this whole margin. Yeah. Well, so have. <laughs> it's kind of a ammo that requires a spark to ignite. You need a catalyst. 
if we don't have a catalyst, this, this condition could persist for a couple of days and nothing would happen. It by itself does not necessarily would cause a sell-off, but it just laid down all the uh, very good, uh, very you know, ripe condition for a pretty large market move. Uh, but if there's no catalyst, nothing would happen. So um, Archegos and the rest, not one particular hedge fund blow up is going to have an impact, but the very strong likelihood that, you know, there isn't just one cockroach, there are many with similar leverage playing the same game. Right. Um, but what are the, and literally, I mean, any book that's leveraged five to one, let alone seven to one, they have a 15, 20% drawdown in their positions and that wipes them out. So there will be a lot of those and there will, will be a lot of those. Every month after 25th or, or well, near or around or after 25th, you're going to see some fireworks. Uh, you know, back in January, we had uh, GME, which also has to do with uh, some hedge fund, right, Mervyn, yep. uh, getting squeezed and they're, they kind of almost blew up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in February, late February, we have a lot of squeezing and deleveraging in those in uh, ARC names. ARC have the names that have it invested by ARC, right? There was a lot of deleveraging in that realm. These never happens in the first half of the month, always in the second half of the month, and always very close to 25th. Right? Interesting. Okay. And and then there are a couple of very interesting dynamics here, actually. For example, for Arch Ego. Uh, this is kind of a zero-sum game. If somebody deleveraged, that actually leaves some room for some other players to leverage up because the total amount of uh, available balance sheet space for the dealer, for the broker dealers to uh, turn that into, uh, you know, total return swaps or other derivatives that allows a hedge fund to to go on leverage is uh, almost a constant, and it will get squeezed a little around 25th. Let me just uh, make another uh, point here. Uh, when I say they sell off the pressure to the market, because this is kind of a temporary dislocation, banks can always adjust their balance sheet. If you give them a week of time, they can move money around, right? So everything we saw so far is it's like a run trip in the stock market. It's always getting pushed down and it will recover in a few days. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like in uh, Q4 2018 or in you know March last year, you just continue to have this selling pressure, right? For a long time, for extended period of time, every day, day in, day out. Well, this right now, the dynamic we have is it's bank will have this temporary dislocation. Uh, JP Morgan is about getting pretty close to their SR limit, uh, but and they're also a very big prime broker in the market. Do a quick do a quick definition of the SLR. I know in your article, which I'm going to put in chat, and this is also you know an interview, so it's podcast. They can't see the article, but right. my point is go to Fed.tips. This is your website, right? That's right. Um, Thank you for the flag. Yeah. And there's a great article on this sicko market and specifically I, your definitions. So I'm just, but real quick, go through that. So. And there will be a couple of uh, articles coming out today as well. I've been oh, uh, yeah, editing a lot of articles on this. Uh, there's lots of uh, details. All right. So yeah. overview of SLR, please. Okay. SLR is a very simple concept. Basically, banks have a certain amount of capital, right? They're basically their market cap. 
their, their, their value of their stocks and then some cash they hold. Their total balance sheet can only be 20x that, 20 times their capital. That's, that's the allowed balance sheet size for, for a bank. And you're asking why do they have a huge balance sheet? Because, okay, they have deposit from their clients, they have loans, they, they, they under uh, road, and they have treasuries, uh, uh, they've been holding. There, there are lots of, uh, they're, they're having a little bit of capital, they have a much larger book um, because they manage money for their clients. Um, they, they, they issue loans, right? So this, ra this ratio was put into place as a legal binding requirement by the Federal Reserve back in 2018. That's part of the Basel III Accord. And it was not supposed to be like this because this is right, right now we're in an unintended consequence of, uh, of the regulation because of the massive QE and MMT we're doing right now, which uh, you know, probably is necessary for the economy right now, but there's a, this is a completely unintended consequence of stretching the regulation. So this 20x limit was this supposed to be very uh, lax, and then we're not supposed to breach it easily, but now we're breaching it because Fed is uh, doing QE, converting UST into bank reserves. Uh, Treasury is issuing a lot of uh, New treasury bond treasury notes, right? We're running about three trillion dollars of trade uh, of budget deficit right now, so that's three trillions of new treasury bond added into the market, and banks are, you know, taking a lot of those. Uh, not a hundred percent, maybe just you know twenty thirty percent, but still that's a lot, and that increases their balance sheet size. You also have these uh, uh, TRS, the total return swaps, where hedge funds are using, and that's also part of bank's balance sheet. The rule right now is. Uh, the notional value of a TRS, and you multiply that by five to six percent, depending on who's doing that, and depending on what kind of security, what kind of equity, what kind of index, what kind of uh, is it a commodity? Is it a? It is based on you know credit, credit, uh, uh, corporate bonds, or is it based on rates? What kind of TRS you're doing? There's a slightly different percentage. Uh, all of these cost banks balance sheet space. For example, JP Morgan, I think in their 10K from last quarter, uh, from Q4 2020, you can see they actually have $600 billion exposure, $600 billion of worth of derivative that they need to carry on their balance sheet. The capital they have, they have is around 200 something, $227 billion, but the derivative exposure uh, is around 650 or $680 billion. So there's, there's a lot of... Uh, balance sheet space required for banks to operate as a broker dealer uh, to allow the uh, hedge fund to lever up. Okay, and so basically just to kind of make sure I'm on the right track here, uh, the balance sheet cannot exceed 20 times their tier one capital, right? That's right. So define a little bit what goes into tier one. Tier one capital, that's a, that's a to the detail, tier one capital is the uh, basically the the common shares of the banks, uh, the cash they they hold, like the the retained profits uh, of the of the banks, um, and uh, other uh, sort of the equity part of their book. Um, that's that's their tier one capital. Um, so um, this is. 
uh, for many banks globally, right? Because I mean, obviously it's a US protocol, but at the same time, global QE has been going on for years now. So this is this has got to be a, a recurring. Yeah, this is a, it's a global requirement, but uh, to your point, every country has a slightly different rule for the SLR. Okay. For example, banks from UK like HSBC or Barclay, they do not have to count bank reserve into their balance sheet. Oh, convenient. Okay. And uh, European banks uh, like, uh, let's say, uh, BNP or uh, Deutsche Bank, their SLR calculation only have to do has to be done near the end of the quarter. That's why they do their window dressing near the end of the quarter. Okay. Uh, for U.S., it's pretty strict. It's a daily averaging of your balance sheet. Okay, so this was something that was basically a requirement that was removed back during the COVID panic, and then it, it basically this March thirty first was put back on. This was only put back on on the U.S. banks, so it only it mostly affected eight biggest U.S. banks here. Did you expect it or were you surprised by the announcement? Uh, I was conflicted about this. This is a, this is a issue that I, I think um, Federal Reserve need to solve. Probably take the Bank of England approach to waive reserve from the requirement, but keep everything else, uh, like putting the Treasury uh, bonds as part of the energy requirement, total exposure. But uh, but uh, I'm not surprised that they did this because of political pressure and as well as the overall risk to the banking system. But also, isn't it supposed to be in place to kind of limit speculation? <laughs> and we've had yes. a lot of it, right? I mean, yes. we're looking at a lot of um, you know equity inflation, uh, commodity inflation, housing bubble in uh, you know, globally. It's not just relegated to Vancouver, you know, or parts right. of Florida. It's every bloody where. <laughs> so. Right. so, so actually, when Bank of England waived their reserve uh, from the total requirements, they increased the SLR for British banks to six or six six point five percent from five percent. So, so they were uh, giving some uh, relief, but they're taking it back in, by increasing the ratio. So, so their balance sheet has to be smaller. It's like only sixteen x. Of, uh, of the capital. Okay, so required capital or they have to have the required capital or reduce loans, right? Right, right. And the other thing right now that is important is because of this zero rate environment we're in, banks are not motivated to, to raise capital, right? Let's just imagine this. The current IOER is only 10 BPS, 0.1%, right? And According to SR, you can leverage by 20x. So you, so for every dollar you raise for capital, you can take on $20 from your from your customer as deposit. But that $20 only generates like 2% of return annually on your capital. And the bank is looking at like 10% return every year, something higher than 2%. So they're not motivated. To, to, to raise capital right now just to accommodate more bank reserve. Okay. If they, they are more motivated to do, to do to use their balance sheet for TRS, which has a much, much higher margin, right? You can charge your hedge fund clients a lot more. Using uh, TRS, define that as well. TRS is the total return swap. It's one of the derivatives that uh, banks use to give their uh, family office clients or hedge fund clients, large leverage is 
somewhat similar to CFD contract for difference, or and it's like they make good. They make good fees from that. Yes, they make very good fees from that, and it's very efficient for their balance sheet because you only need to count like five percent of that uh, as your balance sheet cost. Okay, so is that going? Are they going to curtail or limit that activity? Um, so it reduces fees uh, that they charge to hedge funds and family offices, but it also, um, you know, begs the question: Are they going to do some more buybacks? come June, because they were allowed to begin again, but will they want to? They probably want to, and they probably, you, they've been on this uh, buyback uh, suspension for almost a year now, right? Yeah. 15 months. So they probably want to do that. Uh, so this is not raising capital. This is actually trimming your capital even more. Um, and uh, okay, what happens when you breach your SR limit? Yep. You cannot pay bonuses. The discretionary bonuses is not allowed to pay it out. And there are quite a few things you cannot do uh, for bank executive. It's, it really hurts them. Uh, actually, if you look at the, the 10K, most of European banks already have breached the SR limit. For example, UBS has breached their SR limit uh, Q4 last year. So it's at 4.7 right now. Okay. Um, that means they don't have balance sheet capacity to accommodate U.S. Uh, QE, and then you know ECB is doing QE as well. As well, everybody's doing QE. Banks don't have a lot of balance sheet space for that. They already used up the balance sheet space, and they're not motivated to raise their capital. And this is a zero-sum game. If some more money, some more bank reserves is coming into the system, then something else has to give. So this. This sounds more, you know, akin to tightening than loosening. Yeah, it's a crowding out. It's 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 the it's a tightening because of uh, well, it's a tightening for the for the highly levered uh, derivative market, and okay. that's tightening for the highly levered derivative market. That's okay. That's that's the good way. I, I get that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it, it crowded out of the commercial loan just a little bit. It hasn't uh, hasn't uh, happened a lot yet because the uh, because the, 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 the commercial loans are not like the, the, the accounting on the, uh, uh, the bank's balance sheet for as our purposes is different from, from, the, from the derivatives and also their margin is different. That's sort of it's sit in the middle. What's being crowded out first was the low margin business, which is banks are not motivated to hold US treasury anymore. So that was the immediate consequence of the crowding out. And you saw that in February. I think they were front running that actually into February. It didn't just happen in February. I mean, bonds had already, I mean, had already dropped 20% from their August high. And then they just picked up speed this year and right. in February. They just picked up speed, but it right. had already begun. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, reasons for Treasury to go down. And this is just one more. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. This is just one more reason for for, for it to to go down this uh, this track. Uh, we're on a temporary uh, repeat re reprieve from that because uh, you know the Japanese banks are coming back from their end of the fiscal year uh, sort of a blackout period. They can now buy stuff, so you can you see some buyers coming back to the market. I just saw this morning actually. Um, Japan beats out China for holding of our treasuries. Yeah, Foreign yeah. Holders of our treasuries. Excuse me. There's still a lot of uh, foreign buyers there, like uh, insurance companies, for example, uh, for Japanese and for German insurance companies, it is pretty 
good deal to hold U.S. treasuries for them than holding their own uh, sovereignty uh, bond, right? Okay. It's just the banks are not you're not going out of style. I totally, I, I, I hear you. Are you have a position though on bonds? I know we're bouncing about all over, but this is very, you know, this is how I work. <laughs> so, um, do you have any, a position on bonds? I don't right now. I don't because I'm doing very short term, uh, seven to fourteen days trades, and it's really? uh, okay. Yeah, it's very. Uh, there are too many conflicting factors that's uh, at play right now, so it's not very clear. Uh, I think that we're going to rebound a little, and then uh, once the end of the Q2 is coming, once the banks are freaking out about the balance sheet again, you're going to see selling pressure. I, I said the same thing. I said I think in June we see it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my call. That's my. I think we still we we have more to drop, but. 20% um, is a good place to have a nice solid bounce. Okay, so let's go back now to, because we talked about SLR and I know I'm going all over the place, but that's how I work, that's how I think, it's scary, I know. But um, TGA, the Treasury General Account, how is this all, because we got to get back to the Fed liquidity and, and how this is impacting the, the flows. You right. talk about that, because you just talked about how banks are now, you know, bumping up against their SLR requirements on mm -hmm. top of the fact that we have, you know, Yellen with a whole bunch of money that she's got to find a home for. Right, right. So TGA went up from and sort of a more typical 200 to $400 billion level to $1.6 trillion Huge. Yep. Uh, last year oh. because I think, well, the, the official reason is uh, Mnuchin was expecting a new stimulus bill. I think the other reason is that he wanted Fed to do more QE because if you uh, ramp up TGA, that kind of forced the Fed's hands to, to do a little bit more QE than necessary. Okay, all right, but? But uh, the election happened and we have a new administration and TGA has to go down because of that ceiling coming up in August, right? So TGA basically is the same kind of account that Fetty and Frenny Fanny have in um, Federal Reserve. So it's basically a it's, a, it's a big pie, which is called the Fed balance sheet, mm -hmm. right? Part of it, it was the bank reserve, part of it was TGA, and part of it was the Fed, Freddie and Fanny's account, and part of it is the cash. The cash part is, is the circulating US dollar bills, which is very, uh, it's a relatively fixed amount. It's like slowly growing fixed amount. It doesn't fluctuate by a hundred billion dollars overnight. Like nobody's printing a hundred billion dollars or taking back a hundred billion dollar bills overnight. Freddie and Franny does that. <laughs> they do that quite, uh, once a month. And then we have this treasury department that uh, does that quite often as well. Uh, the last time they did it was on March 17th, when they sent out the stimulus, the last round of stimulus check, uh, the total amount was $271 billion being pushed out in one morning before market opened. Interesting. <laughs> on a Wednesday. And did you anticipate that? Did you um, I anticipated that. I didn't expect it. I was anticipating 240, but it ended up being 271. Okay. And right then the market did pull back for a, a solid week. 
it happens the day after. I think it, yeah. banks anticipated that too. And uh, there was some preparation for that. But then the day after money gets shuffled around and some banks are like, we cannot handle this anymore. We have to cut back on some other things for a few days until we figure out how to put this money. Then the market crashed big time, yeah. So is it so is it causing kind of a, a shrinkage of the money supply? Is this I mean, your thesis for why market would would pull back? Obviously, was right. How I know how you played it. Obviously, I'm assuming puts <laughs> um, right. on the major indices. Um, and you're obviously you you are tracking the timing of this stuff, but functionally, what's happening? Like, how is this? It's the same as Freddie and Freddie and Fanny's uh, uh, cash flow. It's the crowding out. It's, it's a very acute, large number of uh, dollar coming from uh, just suddenly appeared, being you know helicopter dropped into some big banks' account. So and they're okay. C continue. Sorry. And uh, they have to manage their balance sheet in for the next couple of days. And then they, they okay. not giving out more TRS, uh, the, the, the total return swaps, they're, they're not giving out, the, the buying powers of a hedge fund are being uh, tied up. So it's the same thing. It's tightening of the highly levered derivatives, derivatives market. Right, exactly. Okay. All right, so it is more like QT than QE for that short period of time. Right, for a couple of days, it felt like a QT. In a very weird way, because because we're in a zero sum game on the balance sheet, banks back balance sheet. So, so now, how does this change with the political regime? Um, obviously, trying to get or saying trying they're trying to get money now into the economy, into the hands of consumers. Um, banks, you know, still it, their choice to loan or not to loan. Um, but in regards to actually getting it into the hands of consumers to spend, now what? I would think this is, you know, your complicated reason for why you are only short duration trading <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you don't trust something <laughs> um so so this is a this puzzle has so many moving pieces and it's kind of a uh there, there are many competing factors here right so number one is there there are money going into the the real economy or going to the sort of consumer market mm -hmm. uh especially through mortgage-backed securities through refinance of, of loans, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Refinance activity is now 70% of the uh, MB, new MBS origination, seven zero. It was 30% in 2020, early 2020, now it's 70%. Say it again, what's 70%? Uh, for all the new loans originated, mortgage uh -huh. loans originated, 70% of that is refinanced. Okay, thank you. And we are getting the latest data I have, which is, uh, well, I think January this year, we're getting out about 50 to $60 billion to cash out refinance right now. Whoa. Uh, every month. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, so that's, that's cash out. And also there's a lot of new buyers, uh, you know, Malay, you know, yeah. millennium generation, they're buying houses, right? Totally. Well, the, the demographics are gorgeous. I had, um, I had Logan, a, a fabulous uh, real estate uh, data analyst on who said, we've got the perfect storm of low interest rates, historically still low. Yes. Um, we've got the millennials, you know, that have 
a burning desire at, at, for the next few years, numbers, if you will, has a solid tailwind. And then, of course, low supply of housing. There are more real estate agents than there are houses available on the market. So it's the perfect storm for a housing bubble. And now you're also saying they're, they're, they're cashing out on top of that. Is there a lot of money being printed here, about $120 yep. billion every month. Okay. So Fed is buying $40 billion of that every month through QE. Okay. Uh, regional banks are buying another $40 billion of that every month. And then foreigners are buying $40 billion dollars of that every month so that's adds up to about 120 billion that's going back uh, that's okay mm -hmm. that's going to the real economy i yep, think economy. A, a lot of it yeah um it's not going through the commercial and industrial loans um it's not going through the the, the pvp loans go uh, have contributed a little bit to the money printing mm -hmm. so the money printing like the real money that goes that circulates in the real economy well, let's just say part of it. Part of this $120 billion go to the to the real economy. Part of it is still just speculation for the for the houses, right? That's like housing market boom. Mm -hmm. That part of asset asset bubble. Um, then you have the the deficit spending, the three trillion dollar deficit. That is real money printing. That's exactly the same as commercial loans, the credit creation through you know banks writing loans. Through, it's only three trillion. I thought it was five. About three trillion right now. We're, we're, we're losing track of these big numbers, right? I know it. I know it. And more to come, right? If they get this reconciliation passed over filibuster, it looks like a few more years and a few more trillion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, I don't see a lot of money printing beyond this. So if you say like Fed doubled its balance sheet in the past 12 months, uh, that is true. But for the Fed did not, the Fed did not or wasn't able to double the M2 by that of two. And this is completely limited by the bank's balance sheets. So only the things that the banks cannot control, like um, deficit spending, that is increasing the money supply to the real economy. The okay, so, and Yellen has a lot of money to spend, also to satisfy, you said the debt ceiling requirements. Right. Coming, coming due in August. So what does that mean, April through August? What, what market impact? What does that mean? In that, that would mean that we right now have a, at about $950 billion at TGA balance. It would probably drop to 200. So we're gonna have to add $750 billion to the bank reserve. And you know, banks have to raise capital or uh, suspend their buyback or trim so how, something. So how are they going to raise that capital? I don't know. It's a very tricky issue, tough. right? And they also want to pay their bonuses. So, so <laughs> somebody's right. going to get squeezed. Somebody's going to get squeezed. And it could very well be that very highly leveraged derivatives market. Could be, yeah. There is one way for them to funnel this money to uh, temporarily to something else, right? There's this reverse ripple. Uh, Which happened in September program. of, yeah. Uh, it, uh, no, September 2019, that was a ripple blow up. This is a reverse ripple. This is the inverse of that. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, a reverse ripple can soak up maybe $500 billion via money market fund. So the money market fund will hold some of these uh, cash or hold this uh, these part of the 
the, the UST or whatever security on their book as opposed to bank's book. But I would possibly- yeah, As long as it's not negative, that would be a disincentive. Right. But it, but it costs a lot of work for them. They're not as charity. They're not like just doing this for free. They do want some payback and they, it's, it's, it's not a very uh, easy solution for them. And the other thing would be for foreign banks to take this on. But uh, right now, the foreign banks that have the capacity to take on more US dollar reserve would be Japanese banks and the British banks. European banks, they're already breaching the SLR and they probably want to go back to 5.0 if they want to pay their bonuses, right? So uh, HSBC, Barclay, you know, Royal, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, those banks could potentially come in and uh, absorb some of the reserve, but why are they doing that? They're, like, what's the point for them doing that? I don't see a lot of incentive for them to, to get involved in talking uh, up with these, uh, these bank reserve, uh, given the low rate environment we have. So does that translate um, to tighter lending conditions and tightening of the derivatives uh, you know, leverage um, yeah. market. I mean, both kind of in the real yeah. economy as well as in our monopoly one that we trade in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's probably going to be okay for the first months of the quarter mm -hmm. uh, for the next couple of months. So April probably will be fine. And July probably will be fine. And October will be fine because um, at the beginning of the quarter, you because this SR is calculated average over the entire quarter. So in the beginning of the quarter, you can try to increase your activity in the high margin uh, space, like lending money to hedge funds, right? Mm -hmm. But in the second half of the quarter, the banks will look at their balance sheet and then decide what to squeeze. So in the second half of May and in June, Again, in August, second half of August and September, we can see some quite a bit of tightness in the market involving high leverage, involving in the um, involving in the derivatives, I think. All right, so you said basically uh, July. July will be, will be uh, risk on, yeah. Yes, risk on. So th th we have that same thing, like June, it, it's, you know. Right. Start again with with the bond thing. All right, so July and then of course October. Oh, fun. So so right now we're on the in the risk on environment yeah. right now, right? So April, July, and October, and in the past few days everything's been has been rallying. Nobody's concerned about balance sheet at all because they can average it out later. Okay. All right. So a few questions um, while you've been talking to hear if you see any long-term implications of this bank lending contraction? I think uh, something's gonna break, probably again, spectacularly. Uh, probably either the best time for something to break would be maybe August or September because Fed said something about the SLR at the end of March. Basically, they want to do a six months uh, trial period right now to go back to the old SLR rules. If something breaks within the six months, if there's comments coming in, they may consider a change. 
for example, by waiving reserve, uh, bank reserve as part of the balance sheet calculation. Um, but after that, they probably will be uh, sort of in transit, sort of kind of slow or, or being uh, unwilling to do anything about SR for, for a little while. So if something breaks before end of September, we could probably expect a very quick change from the Fed, just waiving the uh, bank reserve as part of the SR calculation at all. And if they do that, I would expect a huge risk on rally once that happens, because basically that would free up about- uh, If they extend, you mean? If, well, we already, we already ended the extension. There's no waiver anymore. If they go back to a waiver, even just a partial waiver, only waiving the bank reserve from the calculation, mm -hmm. that would make, that would allow, that will give like $3 trillion of balance sheet space to the banks. That's like yes. $60 trillion of <laughs> TRS to be written to the, to the hedge fund if they want, right? So that's a huge yeah. amount of uh, leverage they can immediately add on. Um, so and I would expect- more of that as well, if they run that up the flagpole, for example, let's say we have a little downdraft, right? And then they just right. whisper that, that they're considering it. That's going to be the automatic Fed put, uh, you know. Um, whispering doesn't help. I think like JP Morgan is going to fail below 5% already by, by, at the end of this year. It's so close that uh, JP Morgan is going to freak out because they do. They still want to pay out their bonus. Yeah, yeah. Um, million dollar ones. All right. So this is. Um, so, uh, so, so. It so has nothing to do with the debt limit. You're not worried about debt limit getting you know extended you're talking about the reserve requirement getting extended that would be yeah, most market bullish that limit is a given it's, it's already built in and i would expect that would squeeze the market uh, the equity market the uh anything that has that involves leverage to to mm -hmm. have this rally would be probably squeezed uh during can that you time. see any reason why they wouldn't i mean like let's talk rates let's talk you know some type of Political backdrop. What are what are the event risks to that scenario? To the to the debt ceiling to TGA. Yeah, the, this extension. I, I have to unless you have a better word for it. I'm coming. Debt ceiling will be extended for mm -hmm. sure. Um, I don't think Democrats. Well, Democrats never fight for uh, create any noise on debt ceiling, so it will be extended um, probably for two years. So. But the Treasury will not ramp up PGA back up to 1.6 trillion. There's no reason to do that. It will probably just stay somewhere between 200 and 400 billion dollars. Like literally, there's no reason for Treasury to keep 1.6 trillion dollars of, of uh, cash at Federal Reserve for no reason, right? And they're paying interest for that. So, okay. uh, so the bank reserve will will will, will balloon by 900 by well 700 billion dollars by august that's a given as well they might be able to uh, the banks might be able to uh, alleviate that pressure a little bit by using the reverse repo program mm -hmm. probably for 300 400 billion dollars but still that's three four hundred billion dollars they need to digest and then we still have about 100 to 200 billion dollars in new US Treasury bonds and notes being issued every month. So that's a lot of thing added to their balance sheet. And 
uh, somebody need to buy ES and NQ. That's all a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, balance sheet space required on, on there. So it's going to be a pretty bad squeeze. I, I foresee in the second. Really? Okay. Yeah. So you you see this as kind of a, a spike higher, but until then we could have some turbulence and tightening conditions. Sorry, my cat always comes to say hello around the dinner hour. <laughs> She's cute. I have to like remind her it's not five yet. <laughs> All right. So uh, Thomas is asking, wouldn't Fed Bank audit? Or you can read it in Q2 and bonus buyback permissions. Yeah, the banks will have to. They the banks submit uh, a you call it they call it pillar three report to to the uh, Federal Reserve every quarter, along with their 10Ks, and they have to satisfy the SR requirement before they can they can issue bonuses otherwise they can still issue bonuses but then if they breach that limit they have to call it back so mm, okay this is this is totally fascinating <laughs> because obviously it's granular in regards to um, the, you know the size of the supply and how it impacts the derivatives you know like you, you, I had to write this down to get it. the tightening of the highly levered derivatives market <laughs> because this is the crowding out um, and the reserve decisions politically, what will happen? You still see um, some potential cracks or breaks, but if they do come through in this you know, post debt ceiling August timeframe and basically relieve the banks of this concern and, and you know, this limitation in reserves, then there'll be a hyper mode risk on rally is what you, you can foresee. Right. Or if they don't, if the Fed decided not to do anything and just sit on their hands, then we're going to see this more and more pronounced uh, second half of quarter squeeze, and especially at the end of month, uh, or like near 25th, you're going to see all these squeezes more and more pronounced every every month because you know QE is not stopping uh deficit spending is not stopping right so every time these money comes out the banks have to deal with it they can anticipate some of the some of these inflow they sometimes sort of squeeze it ahead of time uh one or two days ahead of time but sometimes they don't uh like you can't anticipate this and then you just have a really large market move four <laughs> percent all right, this is fascinating, Martin. I'm still like I'm, I'm. All the numbers are swirling around, and how you time it with market direction. You know, ultimately, there's just so much money and liquidity that it, it the market just goes up and up and up until something breaks. And when yeah, the margin loans, and it's got that shadow banking side. We're not quite sure, and we definitely have this reflexivity that's going on in the options market. Um, we can see it, the size, if you will, and and such. Um, and the minuscule reversions, and that's why you're on such a, a tight time frame. I get it. Any any parting words on what would be your um, your risk as it relates to? You'll know it when you see it. Something just doesn't sit right in regards to the Fed liquidity and the the mechanism, if you will, breaks down. Yeah, I would like us. Really good rule of thumb that we can use is usually you watch how the market moves between the 15th and 20th. And if during that time the market has already been driven hard by the bank reserve numbers, 
then you know that this, from the 20th to the end of the month, it's going to be pretty bad. Okay, so, so the drawdown, it'll be brief, but it'll be more severe. It'll be faster. Yeah, it'll, the, the oscillation, the magnitude will be a lot larger, right? Just remember it back in 2019, that repo crisis in September, it was triggered by something like $90 billion, right? $90 billion at, time, at the time was triggering that, that's the last nail on the coffin that caused the, the, the whole uh, blowout of the, of the race, 10%. And these days we're dealing with like 200 billion, plus 200 billion, minus 200 billion every other day. Yeah. Uh, on last Wednesday on uh, March 31st, right? So the treasury took back 126 billion just on that day. And then they, they, they spit it out back on the April 1st and, and April 2nd. Uh, so it's just very bipolar, their cash flow. So how and, does this affect currency? And currencies, I mean, are so dependent also on these swaps. Is there any, any part of that? I, I got to ask. It does. I'm looking it, at the, the bonds that you know, fell very precipitously um, in, from January till March. At the same time, the dollar yen carry trade was, you know, up, up and away. Like right. exactly. <laughs> right, like, right. Exactly. Right. Yes. It's a, and and actually, in back in 2018, the uh, dollar and euro uh, correlation with the Fed uh, the liquidity flow is even better and longer. Like throughout the summer of 2018, that. Uh, USD EOR tracks with the liquidity flow um, consistently, even though the equity was not tracking that because of the options uh, option flow. So this is a big factor, but ECB does QE too, and they also have liquidity operations. So sometimes that's canceled out. It's not just on the Fed side. Uh, and ECB are, is not as transparent as Fed in like publicizing or public, publishing all everything. Mm -hmm. um, that is really transparent in this regard. Bank of Japan as well. They don't they don't publish like their QE uh, by day, like two yeah. weeks ahead of time. They're not like so, Mark posting their daily trades. Right. That's right. Yeah. I want the margin loan information if, when when you find it. Okay. So I I know it's after five, but I'm just fascinated by this. I want to know what you think about this chart. I just tweeted this and wait on can you see this by the way yeah i can okay just put things into perspective it has to do with this topic so i have to ask um the s p may have hit a new all-time high but if you put the index in relation to the fed's balance sheet we're talking ratio it is trading at the same level as in 2008 so equities mm -hmm. have traded sideways this kills me um just because of course bulls are using this as an argument for why equities will go higher but at the same right. time this also means fed balance sheet has to keep going higher it's interpret this chart based on i i'm no this chart you can probably say hey this is how um the overall leverage is getting less and less over time oh you mean diminishing <laughs> returns yes Okay. And the base money has not flow even into asset prices as efficient as they can because there are other pieces of the puzzle like SLR is limiting how banks can issue leverage, which I think is a good thing. Yep. Uh, yep. 
Yes, and then I think one of the audience asked about uh, uh, Wells Fargo uh, having their asset freeze being lifted in, uh, will be lifted in July. Yes, that would help a lot in alleviating the pressure, but it takes time for JP Morgan to move money to Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo may not like to do a lot of, uh, uh, well, Wells Fargo can grow, but not necessarily uh, stocking up all the liquidity, uh, all the need for the liquidity, all the liquidity injection very quickly. So I think that would still impact the, uh, the market. Like right now, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, they haven't breached the SR limit. They're just getting more and more careful uh, in the second half of the quarter and in the second half of the month. So yeah, Wells Fargo will help, but not solving this problem. And more treasuries can also get sold in the second, exactly. uh, second half of the second quarter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I wanna share your website. Uh, this is fabulous talk. So many layers of this onion. Uh, Fed.tips is your blog site and your subscription newsletter. You have a very detailed approach to tracking this flow of Fed liquidity and the plumbing and funding markets and how it impacts uh, everything, especially in, uh, in, in derivative markets, which we both uh, spend a lot of time studying. And I just really appreciate your time and your insights. And I want to just and remind everyone that I'm going to post this on my website, um, on my um, YouTube channel. Barton, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and uh, hope to chat again when maybe at the, uh, when some of the, some of the liquidity squeeze was happening, uh, will yeah, be happening. I, trust me, I will be keeping these dates